Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, everybody. I'm Lou Dobbs, and welcome to The Great America Show. And here we are, the world's only superpower, the greatest nation on Earth, the most sophisticated, technologically advanced society and economy the only constitutional republic, the greatest democracy, and here we are. But where are we exactly? Well, for all we're supposed to be as a great nation, we don't rightly know. A week later, how that election turned out. So we don't know exactly where we are. And that seems to be exactly the way the Marxist Dems want it to be. All right, we don't need to know exactly, but how about just approximately then? I'll take our approximate whereabouts politically because we are in a sea right now of ambiguity, a dense fog of disinformation, and none of us seems to see any horizon in any direction, distant or near, and we could well be standing over shifting sands of time, of relativism, and absence of both understanding and resolve, a vast, even endless void of values, perception confused, knowledge lessening and all melding in a slow dimming of the lights of civilization, a creeping darkness of indifference and ebbing national vitality, and the existential questions seem to get larger and more complex. Is this really how our great nation ends? In confusion, passivity, and surrender of our ideals, hopes, and dreams as Americans, the Marxist Dems, the deep state, the other enemies of freedom and individual liberty, enemies of the United States and of truth and justice and the American way, want us to answer as weak and lost souls would. They want us to answer yes, to surrender to the forces of darkness, yes, to ending the fight for the American dream, for our constitutional republic as if 250 years of American history and conflict and sacrifice suddenly matters not in the early 2000s, as if we have no responsibility, no obligation to preserve the United States for our fellow citizens, for future generations of Americans. But to the Marxist left, listen to this. We will prevail. No matter the Marxist left's catcalls and gnashing of teeth, nor their evil ways and deeds, we must fight them to win. There is no path to a future of freedom and prosperity paved with yielding compromise of all we are as a nation, surrender of all that was our legacy, the surrender of future generations of Americans' birthright. Our duty is much higher. Our burdens, ours to carry and not complain or succumb to fear, to weakness. Our duty is to overcome the Marxist left, to prevail, to assure the survival of truth, of justice, and the American way. There is no other way. Now, about that midterm election that is still unfinished, 
We have with us today Tom Bevitt. He is the co-founder and executive editor of the important political media site, Real Clear Politics, an aggregator of polls, opinion, and analysis. Tom, always good to have you with us here on The Great America Show. Welcome. And about that midterm election, what in the world happened on November 8th? Well, that's a good question. Uh, I think, you know, typically in these elections, and I've been through a few of them, there's a fog of war aspect to to how the vote shakes out and, and you need a couple days to kind of dig through and first of all see we've got a lot of races outstanding uh so we'll see where those come in and uh and then kind of dig through and figure out exactly what happened i mean this this one to me is um <clears throat> was surprising i mean by all the metrics that we use to look at midterm elections historically speaking whether it's the president's job approval rating the right direction, uh, wrong track metric. Um, you know, you look at voters were telling uh, pollsters very clearly that it was economy and inflation was the number one issue and that Republicans had advantages on those issues. Um, there was this was a, a, a almost a perfect storm, uh, very difficult environment for Democrats to run in. And yet they ran surprisingly strong all the way across the country outside of Florida. I mean, they won a lot of house races that were that were toss-ups that were really competitive races that you know you would think in an environment like this that 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 would advantage republicans it it didn't in a lot of these places um and so you know it's one of those things i think the biggest number that jumped out to me lou looking just sort of at the exit polls independents voted for democrats by two points independents um nice. and and that's not that is a historical anomaly uh for a first year midterm with again those kind of metrics involved i mean usually independents vote with the you know whoever wants change not for a status quo in a in a first year midterm so and i'm not exactly sure why that is uh, i think it'll take some more digging i don't necessarily buy the the idea that it was um that it was abortion because again the data was pretty clear on this abortion motivated democrats uh, January 6th, you know, threats to democracy motivated Democrats. It did not, it was well down the, on the list of, of urgent concerns for, certainly for Republicans, but even for independents by, by three to one or four to one in some cases. So that wasn't it. Uh, but clearly, despite the economy being their number one issue, independents did not hold that against Joe Biden and the Democrats in a lot of these races. They just didn't. And to me, that is among the chief inexplicables, because he ran up a half a trillion dollar tab just for the student loan forgiveness. Uh, we used to call that walking around money. Do you remember that? Uh, only he's doing it in, in increments of millions of dollars uh, for the for the for the young voters. And apparently they turned out so. As bald uh, a bribe as it was, it apparently had some considerable positive effect for the Dems, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, that was a question. Young voters, uh, whether they would turn out typically, again, they don't, historically speaking, in a midterm. And again, I think this means that, you know, uh, we're in a new environment. I mean, maybe we've reached the end of history with regard to how we analyze elections. We've entered an era where you know, both sides are so partisan, so tribal, so 
uh, concerned about the the quote unquote existential threat posed by the other side that uh, that the normal metrics and rules no longer apply. Um, that's quite possible. Or this could be just a again a historical anomaly, and and we go back to sort of our our regular uh, more regular patterns in in future cycles. But um, again, it's 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 one of those things. We'll. I think we'll get a better understanding of it uh, as time goes on. Yeah, I, when the anomalies uh, become the norm, I, I believe we have a a new environment. And, and I I personally believe that there is a different feel to it. I can't claim anything more than an intuitive response to all of it has happened since 2012. Uh, that was an election that uh, certainly Mitt Romney should have won without question. Uh, this has very, I realize one is a presidential and the other is a midterm, but it has a very similar field, a lot of unexpected results, a lot of uh, disconnects uh, and anomalies. And, and for example, sitting now in Arizona, uh, something like 70% of the vote uh, counted, but my Lord, what is taking so long and why would there be machine failures? And they ran a perfect election in the primaries and suddenly a fourth or fifth of the machines are go down in Arizona. These all sorts of questions arise. And again, without explanation. Yeah, I mean, one of the more interesting aspects of this to me. So Joe Biden's job approval rating in our in our real clear politics average, it was about 42.3 uh, exit polls from last night show it at 44 nationally. And if you go look at these individual states, it was 43 in Arizona, 41 in Georgia, 46 in Pennsylvania, 42 in Ohio, 45 in Nevada, 42 in New Hampshire, 43 in North Carolina, 45 in Wisconsin. So he was wow. at or below his his national job approval in five of those swing states. Um. You know, Obama was at uh, Trump was at 45 in 2018, lost 40 seats. Obama was at 45 in 2010, lost 63 seats. Obama was at 44 in 2014 and lost 13 seats. So um, one of the interesting things that when you look at this data is that the people who who were somewhat disapproval, disapprove of Joe Biden, right? There's they ask people, do you strongly approve, somewhat approve, somewhat disapprove or strongly disapprove? Um the folks who approved of Joe Biden obviously voted overwhelmingly for Democrats. The people who strongly disapproved of Joe Biden voted overwhelmingly for Republicans. But among the slice of people that only somewhat disapproved of Biden, more often than not, they voted for Democrats. Hmm. They disapproved slightly, sort of mushy on, on Biden's handling, but they still continued to vote for Democrats. And again, that's something that to me, I want to go back and take a look at that historically. That seems like a, another indicator that, uh, you know, that the electorate did not function in, in the normal pattern that we are used to seeing in these midterm elections. Uh, either that or the pollsters were not operating uh, in an uh, appropriately given change uh, atmospherics in our uh, society the, uh, among voters. We are, you know, perilously close to not having a Republican majority in the House, although that does seem to be the uh, the outcome once it's all said and done. Uh, and governors picked up uh, two and Republicans lost two in the governor's races. So it's we are a, a divided nation, as, as, uh, as cliched that is uh, to say. 
but it's more than just hackneyed analysis. It, it we are <laughs> in a midterm that should have historically, as we've all said, should have seen the Democrats punished for what was the wrong direction uh, in the country for the uh, for the disruption of a of a prosperous economy. Uh, the list goes on, and there was there was no punishment whatsoever that I can see. Well, I mean, they will not most likely not have a majority in the house um but obviously they 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 did surprisingly well in holding down their losses from what uh, a lot of folks uh myself included were going to be significantly more gains from republicans um as as to the polling listen you know we're going to go through once these results are final and we're going to and we're going to take a real hard look at the pollsters and how they did and who was accurate and who was not accurate and that's part of our pollster accountability initiative that we've launched at Real Clip Politics. And, you know, there were some, I mean, just broadly speaking, you know, the polls were generally accurate. Our averages were, you know, pretty accurate in Ohio, North Carolina, Wisconsin. Um, you know, we had Maggie Hassan's support was understated in, in New Hampshire, but it was also Marco Rubio's support was understated in, in Florida. Um, you know, the Georgia runoff, the polls show that uh, a tie basically going to um, or they had Herschel Walker, the latest polls had Herschel Walker up about a point, but going to a runoff, which is where it ended up. Uh, the last polls had Oz winning in by, you know, three tenths of a percent in our average in, in Pennsylvania. And he lost by two and a half. So it, it you know, some of the, the bluer the states got, the bigger the, you know, some polls showed that Colorado was going to be close. It wasn't. Some polls showed that, uh, you know, Washington state was going to be close. It wasn't. So in some of those blue states, bluer states, Democrats really did flex their muscles and, and overperform the polls. But again, we'll be able to take a, it'll take us a week or two weeks to kind of really dig in and see exactly uh, what went on with the polling. But on, at first blush, um, it wasn't like it was a complete, you know, polling miss all across the country. No, no. Uh, and I, I don't mean to to suggest that. I, what I, 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 considering is that there were polls particularly in the northeast uh, that just were uh, had a wrong conclusion but the margin of error is appropriate uh, and the idea of the red wave became something of a uh, a, a myth that was being built uh, every day uh, larger and taller uh, I think it got it was a perhaps a, a contrivance of the of the national political media more than anything else. What do you think? Um, I don't know about that. I mean, obviously, I think I think, um, you know, from our perspective, again, we went through this very methodically and looked at the polls and looked at the numbers and the metrics. And, you know, Sean Trendy's our senior elections analyst. And, right. and he's you know, we talk about the fundamentals all the time. The fundamentals are what drive this election, right? Again, presidential job approval rating, um, you know, the economy as being sort of the the number one driver, which was clear in the data. That's exactly what, what the case was. Um, and in this kind of environment, Democrats, you know, should have, if, they, if it followed historical patterns, um, they should have taken much more of a, a losses in, in the House side and Senate side. Um, you know, the generic congressional average, again, you know, our final average had it Republicans plus 2.5. Uh, right now, I mean, if you look at these numbers that are coming in, and again, there are a lot of votes to be counted on the West Coast. West Coast, so this is gonna, this is gonna shrink over time. But Republicans lead by five and a half million votes. They're, it's fifty-two forty-six right now. 
Um, so that'll obviously shrink. But Republicans, I, didn't realize, I, yeah, I didn't realize that it expanded that much. Yeah. So Republicans will still end up winning, I think, the, the, the national House vote, um, which is, again, the corollary to the, the generic congressional ballot. Um, but and, and again, typically, you know, a two and a half percentage point lead in the generic ballot would have yielded uh, more gains for Republicans in, in this kind of environment. You know, it, it gets to be a, a, a little bit like uh, President Trump uh, talking about, wait a minute, I, I won Florida, I won Ohio, I won all of these counties that are absolutely uh, essential historically to winning the presidency, why did I have the presidency? Uh, those become uh, sort of coincidental factors rather than uh, determinate agents. Uh, it's a it gets a little uh, tricky uh, what what you all do. I I mean I respect the heck out of the all of the pollsters, uh, nearly all of the pollsters. There's some uh, <laughs> some that I don't. Uh, but uh, it, overall, I think a good job is done. But it's also interesting to me that there's an expression that I heard less in this election than I have heard since uh, well uh, 1992. And that is, it's the economy, stupid. I didn't hear uh, that expressed, and I didn't see any evidence that it was preying uh, actively on the minds of of voters of of either party. Did did I miss something? Yeah, I think you might have. I mean, look, again, from from the data, from the polls, the economy was the number one issue. I mean, it wasn't even even close. I mean, this is the thing. It was, and I... I've tweeted about this and I, I talk about this. I mean, if you go back and look um, in April, Quinnipiac had uh, listed inflation. It was the number one issue across the board for all voters, for Republicans, for Democrats and for independents. In May, this was after the Dobbs decision dropped and leaked in early May, May 2nd, I think. Uh, so a few weeks after that, you could see inflation, the number one issue among Republicans, among independents overall. But Democrats' priorities shifted immediately, understandably, to to abortion. It became their number one issue. Fast forward to August, late August. So now that the Dobbs decision actually came out on uh, in June, so here we are, you know, full two months after that. Uh, inflation was the number one issue by three to one for all voters, for Republican voters, and for independent voters, but still not for Democrats. It was like tied for fourth or something behind. Uh, abortion and some other issues. Um, so it, it clearly was a major factor in this election. Uh, voters were telling pollsters that unequivocally, like for months. Um, but, and again, even though Republicans had big leads on that issue, think back to the NBC News, Wall Street Journal, I think it was something like 25 or 30 points on the economy that that voters trusted Republicans over Democrats. Um, it did not translate in at the ballot box for whatever reason. Um, Democrats were not held accountable, uh, you know, for for what people said. You know, they they think the economy's on the wrong track. They were suffering. They were struggling to pay their bills and the like. Um, but again, for whatever reason, they decided that that uh, they would vote for Democrats. Well, I, you know, I. I... I take your point, and I and I feel like definitely I did miss something, uh, even though uh, to me it was perfunctory the way the Republicans included uh, high inflation and the economy on their litany of uh, grievances against the leadership of Joe Biden. 
and, and I think it shows that whatever the problems we had with Joe Biden, if indeed they were significant, uh, they didn't translate to district races and state races, uh, whether it be the Senate or the, or the House. Uh, I just didn't see that happen. Uh, well, I will. You? I will say this, Lou. I mean, you might. I think you're right in the sense that you know de- Republicans really did sort of hone in and and think that they were getting traction on the issue of crime. That crime was going to be you know. So they stopped talking about the economy so much, and they really started hammering the issue of crime. And you know, they thought that this was creating a surge for Ron Johnson in Wisconsin. It was creating a surge for Lee Zeldin in New York. Um, you know, and look, Lee Zeldin finished better than, I mean, I think that race is like five or six points. Um, so it obviously boosted him, but it may have distracted, uh, Republicans from, from talking about in the same way that Democrats shifted their entire focus to abortion, uh, and didn't really talk about the economy. It may have led Republicans, uh, you know, to get distracted talking about an issue that they thought was going to really help them when in the end, uh, voters, you know, wanted to hear more, they could have done a better job messaging and driving home the message on the economy. And of course, playing in all of this is uh, 2024. Uh, the Republican Lieutenant Governor of Georgia decided to, to get a to get a jump and said, Donald is in the rear view mirror. It's time to move on based on all that was transpiring. How does this play for 2024? I mean, listen, it's it prior to this election, it seemed very clear to me that Donald Trump A was going to run. He keeps telling people and he's set a date when he's going to announce and and it seemed very very clear. And that Donald Trump would um you know, the data suggests that he's if he decides to run, he's going to win the nomination. I mean, Republicans still like him and and uh prefer him over many other candidates including Ron, uh, Ron DeSantis. However, um, I, I, you know, I think that might change the calculus a little bit. I don't think it's going to deter Donald Trump from running, but it may, Ron DeSantis may be encouraged to try and, you know, take on Donald Trump in a primary where, where I didn't think he was going to do that, uh, prior to last night, but given how well he did, he's going to have a lot of people chirping in his ear saying, listen, you're, you're the savior of the Republican party. You're the only guy who can do this. Here's all the money here are all, you know, we'll line up behind you, et cetera, et cetera. You got to do this. You got to do this to save the Republican party. Um, and he might be tempted by that. He might be, you know, again, given, given how well things went for him in Florida last night, um, we may have a different dynamic on our hands that we, that we would have had otherwise. I, I mean, it was not a great night for Trump. Uh, you know, I mean, some of his candidates won, some of them lost, but just generally speaking, I mean, he was, he was out rallying. He was, he was playing in a lot of these primaries. Um, and it wasn't a great night for, for Republicans. I mean, there's just no getting around that. So I think he's going to, again, I'm not sure that changes his calculus, but it may change the calculus of, of some folks in the party who, um, who would like to see Donald Trump's policies and his platforms without all of the baggage and drama that that he brings along because it is clear that that you know Donald Trump he motivates republicans but but he also motivates the heck out of democrats and democrats lord knows don't need a lot of motivation i mean they <laughs> they outwork republicans every election i don't care whether it's a midterm a presidential their ground game makes republicans look like children 
uh, playing at politics. Uh, we, we've just seen too many times, whether it's Pennsylvania, you name this, almost name the state, their ground game is superior to anything that the Republican National Committee plays any role in, certainly. And most of the state uh, parties are not particularly good at it. Uh, we were told by the Republican National Committee, boy, do we have a database? Oh, you've got a database. Uh, what, <laughs> what good was it? Uh, it, it, it's, it gets to the point that there's an old saying, uh, it, it's mine. Uh, you know, when you cross the penumbra of the absurd, there's nothing to do but laugh. Uh, we have to laugh at what uh, at these excuses for a national committee uh, that we've seen since 2012. Uh, they are absolutely helpless. And without the intervention of Donald Trump in 2016, uh, this would be really a woeful record indeed, don't you think? Well, look, I think Donald Trump did... I mean, he changed the Republican Party. I mean, he 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 changed it fundamentally into a working class, populist, economic based party, and and that change is going to continue, um, whether he's at the top of it or not. I mean, because the, the the plates have shifted, and I don't think there's there's any shifting back that's going to happen anytime soon. So, um. You know, I, I, I suppose re Republican operatives would say to you, their response would be, listen, you know, we just turned out 48 million votes across the country and we beat the Democrats by, again, we'll see what the final number is, 2 million, a million and a half. Um, they'll say they did their part. I, maybe we'll see in the end that that Republican turnout came up short in, in some of these states and that's really what what had happened. I mean, Myra Flores tweeted that last night. She lost her race in South Texas um, to, uh, uh, what's his name? <laughs> I'm blanking on it. Man, I've got two hours sleep. So I, I uh, anyway. understand. Yeah. Same here. <laughs> Myra, Myra Flores lost her race. And she said, you know, basically Republicans and independents didn't turn out and, you know, stayed home and, you know, you get what you vote for. So good luck because you got a Democrat now. Um, Again, it'll take some time to really sort of tease out exactly if that was the case, and and it was a it was a Republican turnout problem as opposed to uh you know a, a an issue just with independence that Republicans turned out and Democrats turned out and they were all fired up both sides were fired up and independents just just tipped the balance in in a lot of these races uh, enough to to give Democrats the the votes they needed to win a lot of these close races. Yeah, the the winner was Vincente Gonzalez. Thank you. Uh, and 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 one of the, you're welcome. Uh, and uh, and we we see nothing but blue. Well, that's not true. There's one district, and I can't recall which it is, uh, along this the southern uh, tip of Texas there with the border with Mexico. It's blue, uh, uh, nearly all of it. Uh, so there's, uh, again, a misreading, I think, on the part of the Republican Party when it comes to uh, illegal immigration, uh, when it comes to border security. Uh, you know, that's a hard sell in that particular uh, sector, if I can use the Border Patrol uh, term. It, it, and I think, uh, frankly, Flores is uh, misinterpreting as well. Uh, there's a preference there, and it's a preference for what is a, a, a free flow of uh, illegals, a free flow of drugs, and a tolerance, if not a preference, uh, for uh, human smuggling, sex trafficking, and it's that, that simple. 
the United States, if it does not have the courage to secure a border and to stop all that is crossing that border illegally, uh, then we have huge problems. Uh, it may There may be a truce at the border on either side of it because, the, frankly, the cartels are now controlling both sides of that border. Uh, it is it is desperately bad news for the rest of America. Well, listen, uh, you know, this was one of the things we were talking about, the Hispanic vote, which has moved to Republicans over the last couple of cycles. Right. It looks as if Republicans did did well with Hispanics. I think it was 60-40 in the exit polls. I mean, that's nationally. So we'll see where, again, in some of these states, how, the, how those numbers differ, um, but also seem to do. Uh, well with African-Americans, better than they have in the past. So, you know, I I also saw, and I want to go back and again, look through this. Um, You know, when you look through, I think the gender gap was not nearly what it has been in past as well. And again, that might have something to do with Donald Trump not being on the ticket himself. Uh, But Republicans seem to recover ground there as well. But again, came up short in uh, just a lot of these close races. And, um, so I, we'll see what the what the uh, Republican Party decides to do moving forward and how it may adjust and and it's 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 messaging and its its stance and what lessons it's going to learn from from what happened. You know, there are an awful lot of people in the Republican Party who were expecting a lot more, uh, a lot more, a red wave, a red tsunami. Uh, and it just didn't occur. Uh, as you say, it's absolutely maddening that in this day and age, we can't count in one day or, frankly, vote in one day uh, for our, our our elected officials. It, it is really stunning stuff. Uh, your thoughts on what changes have to be made in terms of the uh, of the operation and administration of uh, the electoral uh, system? Um. Well, I, listen, I do think uh, it's, it is astonishing. My parents live in East Mesa, Arizona, and they texted and said they went to two polling locations and the lines were so long they, because the tabulating machines were broken. Um, and it is astonishing that in a, a after, especially what, after what happened in 2020, you know, the, the, the state and the apparatus there had two years to get their stuff together and to have 20 to 25% of those tabulating machines break down on election day um, when, you know, the governor's candidate, Katie Hobbs, is also the secretary of state. And also when, you know, most Republicans are going to the polls on election day, while Democrats have have already banked a lot of their vote early, just absolutely invites skepticism and questions about, uh, you know, why that sort of thing is occurring. I and look, we'll find out in the end. Um, I hope everybody who wanted to vote got to vote. My parents ended up getting to vote. So it, it you know, doesn't seem like uh, it, it may not have hampered or um, dampened Republican turnout. We'll have to wait and see. But I would hope, and again, it's t- you can't really federalize elections. That's going to be unconstitutional. It's reserved for the states. Um, but it would be nice if if all these states got together and sent folks down to Florida and learned best practices because they seem to do a pretty good job of – allowing early vote, counting it, getting it out and and tabulating it and posting it in, you know, in real time so that we know. And it's just the fact that we're waiting, we're going to be waiting for for days to count votes in Nevada, days to count votes, even though the race is over in Pennsylvania. Um, it just invites, uh, you know, it invites speculation and the idea that there's 
stuff going on behind closed doors that we don't know about. And, and that's not good for the system. It's not good for the integrity of the system. And, and it'd be better if, if everybody just, you know, again, did, did the best practices that are out there so that, that even if we don't need a national law to, to federalize elections, but everybody started doing it the same way because it's the best way to do it. Yeah. Best practices would be a wonderful approach, wouldn't it? It would. Uh, and it doesn't happen. Uh, three electronic voting companies, all private companies, not public, uh, processed 92 percent, processed over 92 percent of the votes in 2020. Think of that. And most secretaries of state and county clerks who administer these elections have no idea what happens in that black box or how to assure the security of it, nor do the federal agencies that are responsible for the so-called voluntary certification of such machines. Uh, it, this is madness. Uh, <laughs> and we're not going to relitigate here today, 2020, but it overhangs everything. The lack of integrity in our electoral system. Uh, and with this, again, a very close election where we thought there'd be a tsunami, uh, and wouldn't have to deal with those questions. Uh, we're back dealing with them, whether it be in New Jersey, whether it be in Pennsylvania, uh, or uh, or uh, Arizona. So I just want to say, Tom, it's great having you with us. Uh, we really appreciate your insight and, and, and sharing your thoughts with us in the uh, in the wake of uh, a tsunami that didn't happen. Uh, we always give our our guests the the last word, and if you will, your concluding thoughts. My concluding thoughts are uh, that we still have a month to go because there's going <laughs> to there's going to be a runoff in Georgia. Um, and depending on what happens out in Arizona and Nevada, you, you count those votes out there, um, that race in Georgia could mean a lot. I mean, it could, it might mean nothing depending on how those, but it could mean a lot. And so, uh, that could also be a repeat of 2020. So get ready for that and, uh, prepare yourselves for another, uh, you know, another month of, of madness. I think the American people, if they're not prepared now, we never will be uh, <laughs> because we're getting so much practice. Tom Bevan, Real Clear Politics, we thank you so much uh, for being with us. Uh, look forward to talking with you again soon. All right. Thanks, Lou. Tom Bevan, Real Clear Politics. Thanks, as always, for your astute analysis and insight. And thanks, everybody, for being with us. A reminder, you can follow me on Twitter and Truth Social at Lou Dobbs. Tomorrow, our guest is attorney Kurt Olson, representing, among others, President Trump and Mike Lindell. Please join us tomorrow. Until then, God bless you, and may God bless America. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.